Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Wednesday, June 12th, 2019. I'm Shannon and I'm here with Amber today to talk about some LBGT themed novels since June is Pride Month. So Amber, how are things with you? Oh, I am doing well and you're so I'm very excited about this episode. Yes, Pride yes. is a very good episode topic I believe. Indeed. Thank you for coming up with the idea for this episode because I think it's very timely and also just a lot of fun. I've read a ton of really great LBGT themed books. Some of them are nonfiction even. I am not a big nonfiction reader so the fact that I have one to talk about here is kind of a big deal for me. But before we dive into the books I have the usual housekeeping information to give. You can find us on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. Once you're there, you can like and or follow the page. You can also join our Facebook listener group where you can interact with us and with other podcast listeners. So if you're looking for a group of people who love to talk about books, you might want to check that out. If Twitter is where you prefer to hang out, you can find us over there as well um, at bistro underscore book. And email because email is a good option you can send us an email that address is the book bistro podcast at gmail.com all right so amber since this is your idea of an episode how about if you kick it off yes um so i have uh i have heard that with a really good book you remember exactly where you were when you were reading it and you remember, you know, what was happening. Um, and with two of these in particular, I remember, and it's funny because I'm not much of a young adult reader, but the two books that I remember the most um, are both young adult books. Um, and the first one I read right after I had surgery, like 12 years ago. Um, <clears throat> and it is Annie on my mind by Nancy garden and garden is just like, oh, yes. Yes, the garden in a home. Um, so this book just blew me away, I think partially because it was so touching and sweet. Um, it's won quite a few awards. Um, <clears throat> it was released in 1982, um, and the premise of the book is that Liza meets Annie, and basically they fall in love, and they're both teenagers at the time. It's the late 1970s. Um, and Liza does not realize, you know, in any way, shape, or form that she would ever have, you know, feelings for a girl. And Annie is just, like, so carefree and cheerful and, you know, really, like, the go-getter in their relationship. And, you know, it's, it's a romance, but it also has, um, you know, there are um, <clears throat> two teachers at their school that they interact with. Um, and I don't want to give too much of the book away because the ending is just like a, a it's like a punch in the gut, but a, in a good way. Um, but but it, it, it very subtly um, 
and in some ways not so subtly, you know, addresses a lot of young adult issues that are still relevant today in a really good way. Um, you know, it talks about a lot of discrimination, um, you know, what people had to do back then to hide the relationships, um, things like that. And they really have to deal with some adult situations, you know, in a, in a 16 or 17 year old's um, relationship. And, you know, it's all, it's all because, you know, of, of who they choose to love. And it was, I read it, I think in a day. Um, and it's just a fabulous book. And I would recommend, you know, that anyone read it. It's a sweet story. And again, that is Annie on my mind by Nancy Garden. I love it. I kind of want to read it again, because I haven't read it since I read it like that first time 10 or 12 years ago. I think I've read it twice. And to be honest, it affected me just as deeply the second time. Um, there's a twist at the end that just kills me every time. And I just, I'm not much of a sappy person, but every time I get to that point in the book, I just cry like a little baby. Uh, <laughs> I really do. <laughs> My first pick is also a young adult novel. Not that that is terribly surprising since I read a lot of young adult fiction these days. Um, but this is a pretty new book. It's called Like a Love Story, and the author is Abdi Nizemian. This is a story that's set in 1989, and we follow three teenagers. One is named Reza, and he is Iranian. Um, his family moved from Iran originally to Canada, and then they stayed in Canada for a little while before moving to the United States. So now Reza has moved in with his stepfather and his stepbrother, and of course his mom, and he is trying to settle into this new country and go to a new school, but Reza is gay, and he knows that this is not something that is terribly acceptable um, for, for Muslim boys. So he tries really hard to keep this a secret and he thinks like maybe if he can just get a girlfriend like that will make this so much better. But he doesn't really want a girlfriend. He feels very awkward. So he's just in a really difficult spot. Um, another one of our main characters is Judy. And Judy is a teenage girl. She's very smart, um, kind of quirky as a lot of characters in young adult fiction are. And she is very, very close to her uncle, Stephen, who is right now dying of AIDS. Um, he contracted the HIV virus and it's now full-blown AIDS, and he is really struggling. Judy has been very involved in Stephen's activism um, for gay rights and to improve the living conditions of men with AIDS during this time period. But she's really having a hard time dealing with the idea that soon her uncle won't be around anymore. And Judy's best friend, Art, is the third person that we follow. And Art has come out as gay. And his family, who are these kind of super rich, kind of stuffy, like, uh, upper class people, do not like the idea of having a gay son. So they try really hard to pretend that it's not real and to distance themselves from anything that even like you know 
hints at being gay, but Art is not content to have his sexuality kind of you know, swept under the rug. And so he takes part in the activism alongside Judy. Now, all these three go to school together, and both Judy and Art begin to develop feelings for Reza. So this is a kind of complex love triangle. Um, Reza is also into art, but he thinks that Judy might be kind of the best choice for him. So he kind of tries that out, you know, tries to make it work for himself. This is, it's not a happy read. It's not a book where you're going to come away, you know, feeling really uplifted and and lighthearted. This is about young people, but it tackles some really, really tough issues. Uh, There's a lot of discussion of death and dying, of the kind of uncaring response of the United States government to the AIDS, the AIDS crisis in the 1980s. Um, it just it has some really powerful messages that I think are are kind of like timeless. It doesn't matter that this is set in the 80s. So much of what is expressed here kind of transcends time, and I loved that about this. Um, it's, I, I just, I don't feel like I have enough words for this. It's, it's a deep, very moving story. Definitely be prepared to feel a wide range of emotions. Um, so I'm going to stop kind of rambling on about this. It's um, Like a Love Story, and it is by Abdi Nazemian. And if you would like a kind of deeper look at the AIDS crisis, um, more for like an adult audience, I highly recommend the novel The Great Believers by Rebecca Mackay. It is a a heart-wrenching novel that I I want more people to be exposed to. Another good nonfiction book would be And the Band Played On. Um, I believe, and I would have to look it up, I believe it's by Randy Schultz. I'm Ah, not 100% ah. sure, but it's um i remember i've read excerpts of it i haven't finished it but um it was basically you know talking about the aids crisis and how people in government just ignored it you know for a long time and they just kind of swept it under the rug it was a you know unfortunately they thought of it as a gay man's disease um and you know just how like aids activists really came forward and they really had to fight for what they got and you know, it's it was an interesting history. Might have to check that out, even though yes. nonfiction isn't like hugely my thing. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of a big history nonfiction nerd, so um, I believe. I mean, I can look it up, but I believe it's Randy Schultz. Cool. I remember. <clears throat> okay, you ready for my next one? Yes. Okay, so my next one is actually a nonfiction. Um, and it is called Real Queer America, LGBT Stories from Red States. And it's by Samantha Allen, A-L-L-E-N. So I, I feel like, so I come from what would be considered a red state. I live in what would be considered a red state. Um, and I feel like they, I don't want to say they get a bad rep because, you know, a lot of you know a lot of people just think that like 
LGBT people just want to leave the red states. And this book kind of addresses the fact that, you know, gay people obviously live in red states. They love the states that they live in and they don't want to leave. Um, and it talks a lot about, so basically the author, Samantha Allen, um, <clears throat> who herself um, is transgender. So she talks a lot about her own story and then she literally goes around the country and talks with different people, both activists and, you know, everyday people who live in, you know, like, let's say Utah. Um, and you would think that no one in Utah would want to stay there if they were, you know, LGBT. But what she, uh, she talks to a Mormon who actually is in the church and you know, this is just an example. And he, you know, talks about why he stays in Utah, why he, you know, um, why he chooses to be a Mormon. And he said, you know, I can't really imagine being anything else. Um, and, you know, it's just a really enlightening book about, you know, the activism that is going on in red states for, you know, discrimination and things like that. And in many ways, um, it kind of highlights that, you know, they, they point out in the beginning of the book that California was the state that banned, you know, that was the prop eight. That's um, true. And, you know, they were talking about how, like, they feel like LGBT people in those states, like the blue states are very complacent. And so when, you know, Prop 8 passed, um, gay people couldn't believe it, but it was because they just basically took for granted what they had, uh, you know, and didn't vote. And there were a lot of different factors that went in, into it. Um, and, you know, sometimes those states, the blue states aren't as progressive as people think. And, you know, there's some really interesting work being done in like Georgia. Um, Emerson University in Atlanta was one of the first um, was one of the first universities to offer student health care to transgender youth. Um, that did not happen at Harvard for like two years after Emerson. So, I mean, the point of the book is that, you know, there's some really good activism going on in red states. Um, there's some really good community in red states and like it's not all the stereotypes that people think it is um and you know like my home state has tried to pass several anti you know lgbt um bills and they've never passed and it's because you know people from the, you know other red states and and the state that i'm from stood up and were like no this is not acceptable so, I mean, you know, it's, it's a very, like I said, it's a very interesting nonfiction book. And again, it's called Real Queer America, LGBT Stories from Red States by Samantha Allen. And if you get the version on Audible, it actually is read by her, which is pretty cool. Oh, that is pretty cool. Yeah. Is it told kind of in like vignettes of the different yes. people that she talks to? Yeah, exactly. So she starts with her own story and then... Um, I haven't made it through the whole thing just because work kind of has consumed my life lately, but um, 
I, but yeah, I mean, it starts out with her story and then it talks a little bit about her mentor and then she basically travels around the U.S. and it starts in Utah where she grew up. She actually, uh, before she transitioned, went to BYU, uh, Brigham Young University. And she talks a lot about, um, and I, I actually have, um, my grandparents are from Utah and I was very, very familiar with where she grew up. Um, I'm very familiar with BYU um, in that area. And so as, you know, someone who spent every summer since I was six until I was 15 living there three months out of the year, you know, it was really interesting to read about, like she talked a lot about how, you know, she would be this Mormon missionary during the day and then she would dress up in women's clothing and just drive around, you know, Provo, Utah at night and that, that transition um, and it, I mean, it's, it's a really, it's an amazing book. So yeah, I will have to Enough check gushing it out. for me. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, gushing is, is here. <clears throat> right. Exactly. So it is perfectly acceptable. All right. How about if we traveled back in time and hang out in Victorian London? London. <gasps> Yay. So My next pick is kind of a a classic when it comes to lesbian-themed literature. This is Tipping the Velvet by Sarah Waters. Um, I've read this twice, and I have adored it both times. Um, It's about Nan King, and Nan grew up in a seaside village. She's what they call an oyster girl. Um, She spends her time preparing oysters in kind of this, like sort of like a crab shack, but for oysters. Um, And her family is not wealthy, but they're they're pretty happy. And when Nan is not dealing with oystery things, she is in utter and complete awe of the theater. And so every night she travels into town and she visits the music halls where she sees all kinds of of different acts, people like doing skits, um, singing and dancing. And she really feels a great affinity for those who live their lives on the stage. So one evening, she sees a male impersonator named Kitty Butler on stage, and she is just enraptured. Um, She has these deep and complicated feelings for Kitty that she doesn't really understand. Um, She feels drawn to her in a way that she hasn't felt drawn to someone before. And something kind of instinctively tells her that this is not like a friendship thing that she's feeling. It's something much deeper. She and Kitty end up striking up a friendship. And eventually, Kitty persuades Nan to leave her her small village and come to London as her dresser. So she's responsible for Kitty's costumes. And then through a nifty little twist of fate, Nan ends up joining Kitty not only in London, but on the stage as part of her male impersonating act. Um, What follows is this phenomenal romance um, between Kitty and Nan and it's not it's not an easy road they have so many obstacles in their path because you know it it wasn't popular it wasn't safe um, it wasn't considered moral to be 
a woman who loves another woman in Victorian London. So they, their HEA is, is very, very hard one. Um, this is a very long book. If you read it in audio, it's like almost 20 hours long, but it is so worth your time. And it's one of those books that as you're reading it, you don't feel like you're reading a huge novel. It just kind of flies past. Waters does a fantastic job of putting just enough historical detail into the story to make it feel authentic, but you're not like being overwhelmed by you know information about London in the 1800s. Um, it just adds that extra layer of authenticity that I really love about historical fiction. So once again, this is Tipping the Velvet, and it is by Sarah Waters. I love Sarah Waters. I was actually introduced to her. I've read Fingersmith. Oh, Fingersmith. Oh, which is so twisty and good. Yes, I love it. Um, and if I, it's been a long time since I've read that, but I think that one was, is also lesbian yes 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 and affinity um oh i haven't also this, yeah i i've only read fingersmith but i have the other two i have all of her stuff in in audio so i'm super excited i um, tried to read shit. night watch but it was one of those books that was told backwards oh and i found it <clears throat> super confusing yeah so i never yeah. actually um finished it but I've loved Fingersmith, <clears throat> Affinity, Tipping the yes. Velvet. And then I think she has a couple of other ones as well. Yeah. Um, the Little Stranger, I think. Yes. And an unpaid guest, I believe. Yes. There we yes. go. Um, and there is a twist in Fingersmith that made me, I'm not pretty, I'm not very easily shockable. But <laughs> I was like, what just happened? Oh, that was such an excellent book. I had a hard yes. time picking, honestly, I between can understand that. Fingersmith and Tipping the Velvet. Um, yes. I think we should stay in Victorian London. Okay. Uh, because my next book is An Unseen Attraction by K.J. Charles. Um, and this is for the first book in the Sins in the City uh, books. And oh my goodness. So this is Rolly and Clem. So uh, this is a gay couple, and I I just wanted to hug both of them multiple times throughout this book. Have you read this book? I have not. I've only read oh, one, KJ Charles, which you, is her lesbian historical. You should read it immediately. I have so, so, okay, so what happens is Rolly is a taxidermist. So he stuffs animals, and Clem is his landlord. Um, <clears throat> and basically, it's a murder mystery. Someone kills someone uh, that lives in Clem and Rolly's house. And it is all about how they meet, or how they, they, they know each other, but how they fall in love. And it is the sweetest, like, most lovely romance that I've ever read and I'm not a huge romance fan um but this was so good and it deals a lot with uh social anxiety um Clem has probably what we would consider a form of Asperger's or autism uh you know he doesn't like big crowds he gets he he needs everything to kind of be a certain way 
Um, he's very much into like routines and like the way that Rolly accepts Clem's, you know, he calls them, I think, limitations, um, is so lovely. And it's, it's set against the backdrop of this murder mystery that they're trying to solve. And like the book just makes me emotional just talking about it because it's so sweet and they're so supportive of each other. You know, they they do obviously have disagreements, but you know, they work them out. Like, it's not like the disagreement is throughout the entire book and you just want to beat them with it. Um, you know, it's, it's, I, I believe like a very real uh, romance, but it's um, I like, I can't stop gushing about them. Like, and um, Roly has, he, he wears very thick glasses. Um, and when he loses, there's a scene in the book where he loses his glasses and um, you know, he, you know, the way that they deal with everything that goes on around them, how they deal with being gay in Victorian London, um, you know, how they kind of get around the, um, you know, the taboos of the day. Um, it's it's just a really amazing book. Um, it's a murder mystery and a romance, and that's An Unseen Attraction by K.J. Charles. So we have to change this up a little bit. Okay. And deal with some fantasy. All right. Because fantasy is a great thing. Heck yeah. And what's better than just like fantasy in and of itself? Young adult fantasy. So my next pick is The Last Herald Mage Trilogy by Mercedes Lackey. And the first book is called Magic's Pawn. And this is part of her Valdemar series and I don't want to get into a whole description of like what Valdemar is and isn't but it's written as a series of trilogies and so you have to read like book one in a trilogy before book two or three obviously but it isn't strictly necessary to read the trilogies in any order necessarily so this one as I said is the last Herald Mage and the first book is Magic's Pawn. Our main character is Vaniel. And Vaniel is this very creative, very smart, kind of refined young man. And nothing is more important to Vaniel than music. He is just in love with music. But in the world of Valdemar, there's not a ton of place. There's not, not a great way to live your life as a musician. Vaniel's family would like it a lot if he would learn to be a soldier. So they send him off to Haven, which is kind of the capital of the kingdom. And he is supposed to be studying like the art of war. But this doesn't go well for him. Um, he doesn't assimilate well to life in Haven. He's not necessarily the most pleasant character in all the world. Um, he's very entitled. He's quite snobby, actually. He doesn't treat people very well most of the time. Um, he thinks that he's kind of like the greatest person around. And if other people don't realize that, well, that's their problem, not his. So he's just not doing well. But as he is trying to make a life for himself in Haven, he becomes aware of these very important people who are known as heralds. And these are people who are sworn to the crown of Valdemar. 
And they have these very special bonds with these animals. Um, they're big white horses and they're called companions. They have kind of a like a magical spirit in them and they can communicate with the people that they choose telepathically and so you if you get chosen by a companion this is like a, a great thing for you um, not only does it afford you the status of then being a herald but you also have this very intimate relationship with a being who basically is like sworn to you for the rest of your life or its um, no one expects that Manuel will be chosen by a companion because it's just not what anyone thinks will happen, but he is. And so he then gets swept up into the world of the heralds. When he is training to be a herald, he falls in love with a young man named Tylandel. And Ty is openly gay, whereas Vandal is, Vaniel is not really sure um, how he defines himself. But they end up falling in love, and this is a, a deep, deep first love. Um, it, it's very all-consuming. No, they just were not at all prepared for this, and it changes their lives um, in ways both good and bad. Um, the trilogy goes on from there, and you learn a lot of different things about the world of Valdemar, but also about these two characters. Um, it's very, very sad in places, so be prepared to deal with that. Um, I think I cried like more in the second book than I probably did like the whole year that I read it. So it's, it's very sad, but so lovely. One of the best things about Valdemar is the sort of just acceptance that the characters feel toward one another. You know, not like, oh, you're a terrible person, that's fine. But you're, like, who you love is not an issue. Um, the color of your skin is not an issue. It's people are judged by their own merit rather than on like some kind of preconceived idea of class or um, gender or race. It's just a really great world, one that I think can teach people a lot if only more people were, were willing to read it. So it, once again, is The Last Herald Mage by Mercedes Lackey, and the first book in this trilogy is called Magic's Pawn. Another author uh, that does young adult fantasy that does really good um, LGBT characters is Tamara Pierce. Oh, yes. And I like her, I like her, I like the way that she handles it because she does, she makes it very subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I appreciate that. Like, they're just kind of, you know, characters in the, the books. They're well-drawn. Um, I'm, I'm particularly thinking of her uh, Becca Cooper series, which starts with Terrier. Oh, yeah, um, I like those. And, you know, there's, there's a gay couple in the books. And, like, they're just there. They're <laughs> normal. They do, you know, normal. Um, I want to say that Oha is transgender, actually. Um, and she handles it really, really well. And I appreciated that it was very subtle and, you know, Oha and, and Nestor were just part of, you know, the, the story and it was just very subtly done. Yes. But she doesn't like make a point of saying like, no. okay, now these, Two, this is yeah. their story and this is very important. Like, exactly. She, just, she doesn't of, beat you over the head with it. 
no, she just kind of yeah. leaves it there and you watch them evolve in the same yeah. way that you watch the rest of the characters. Uh, so my next book, we're going to go back to a little bit of nonfiction. Um, and this is, um, this book is called Mama's Boy. Uh, and let me just find the, it's, it's, you know, a longer title. It's Mama's Boy, the story from our Americas. And it's written by Dustin Lance Black. And he actually wrote the screen, uh, the screenplay for the movie Milk. Um, and oh. he also did, um, he also did a lot of, he, he did a lot of activism against Prop 8. Um, and it is his story of him and his mother. So he grew up near Dallas, Texas. No, I'm sorry, San Antonio, Texas, in a strict Mormon household. Um, and it is the story of him and his mom and, you know, him coming from a Mormon household. Uh, his mom actually had polio. Um, and, you know, she was basically told from a very young age, you know, you're not going to have babies. You're not going to have a career. Um, and she did both of those things. Um, she had, uh, she has leg braces, I believe. And, you know, it's just the story of her raising, you know, her three sons. She had three sons in uh, near San Antonio, Texas. Uh, it was a military household. It was a Mormon household. And how, you know, even though he came out as gay um, and it was, you know, it went against what she believed as a person, you know, being Mormon, um, how she really supports him. And, you know, she doesn't necessarily... Um, again, I haven't finished the whole book. I've started it, but I haven't finished it yet. Um, but you can tell that she would rather her son not be gay. Um, but she has accepted who he is and, you know, what he stands for. And even though she doesn't agree with him, um, she still supports him and his activism. And I really appreciate the fact that, like, this book is not it's not, you know, a happy ending. Um, she does not necessarily agree with, you know, his lifestyle or, you know, the way he lives it, but she lets him do what he needs to do and she lets him be who he wants to be um, without necessarily agreeing with it. And, you know, I'm not saying that's right or wrong or good or bad, but, you know, like I, I, I feel like we're a very divided country and it's, it's refreshing to see two people who are not necessarily on the same side politically but they still love each other. They still agree, you know, they still um, really respect each other, I guess is the word. Um, mm -hmm. And they don't necessarily try to change each other and they just let each other be what they're going to be, um, you know, but they're still supportive of each other. And they, I really, I appreciate, you know, that perspective. And again, it's called Mama's Boy, The Story of Our Americas by Dustin Lance Black. So I swore that I had a nonfiction book in here, and I do. So let's talk about this. This is We Have Always Been Here by Samra Habib. And I was drawn to this book because it's a perspective that we don't often see. Um, the author grew up in Pakistan and was part of an extremely fundamentalist sect of Islam. So she was told from a very young age that you don't reveal things about yourself to people. You don't share your religious beliefs with people. 
um, you just don't tell people very much at all because that's dangerous. Um, the sect that her family belongs to was not popular um, in Pakistan. So she grows up with this idea that you have to keep people at a distance. And as she grows older, she begins to realize that not only is it your, your sexuality that you don't, I mean, sorry, you might want to edit this, Hume. Um, not only is it her, her spirituality that she needs to keep to herself, it's also something much more inherent, something that is inside of her that makes her look at people and at love a little bit differently from those around her. And she really is not sure what this means. She's not sure how to process this in herself um, in a culture that is not very accepting of queer identity. Eventually, Samra's family leaves Pakistan and moves to Canada. And this opens up a whole nother set of problems for Samra. And she's not only now this, you know, kind of refugee person, but she's also pretty sure that she likes girls and she doesn't know what her new culture thinks about this. And so it's, it's a story of, of exploration, of discovering who you are and learning how to be comfortable in your own skin. Um, it's a quick read. It feels very conversational. It's not dry at all. Um, it kind of just feels like you're hanging out with someone. They're telling you a story. Um, and it's a story that I was, I was very happy to hear. So this, once again, is We Have Always Been Here, a queer Muslim memoir by Samra Habib. This sounds really, really good. It is, and it's a quick read. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. you can like, kind of fly through it and feel yeah. like you absorbed so much. Yes. Um, and, and, and it's an interesting perspective. You know, because you're right, you don't really think of, when you think of Islam, you don't really think of, you know, there being a ton of flexibility. Um, yes. So I will, I, will, I will be very interested to read that um, very, very soon. And I yeah, appreciate that. It just that came it's, out, so you should, oh, okay. uh, you should yeah. be able to find it pretty easily, I think. Yeah. Um, my book is also, my next book is also a pretty quick read. It's actually for younger um, younger readers, and it's called George um, by Alex Gino, G-I-N-O, and I would say this is like for, if you have like a second grader, a third grader, maybe somewhere in there. Okay. Um, and so this is a story about George, and when people look at George, they see a boy, um, but she knows she's really a girl. Um, she knows that, um, you know, she, she's always felt like a girl. Um, you know, that's just the way that she feels. But she thinks that she's going to have to keep it secret forever. And then her teacher announces that that their class play is going to be Charlotte's Web, <clears throat> which is one of my favorite books ever. Yay. And George really, really, really wants to be Charlotte. But her teacher says no because <gasps> she won't even boy. let her try out because she's a boy. Um, so That's with the help sad. of her best friend, Kelly, right? So with the help of Kelly, um, so George comes up with a plan. And it's not just so that she can be Charlotte in the play, but so everyone can know who she is once and for all. 
So this is, you know, a book for younger readers about transgender and how, you know, it's, it's okay to, you know, come out as a transgender kid. And it's really well done. And, you know, I hardly ever read little kids books, but like, this is such an interesting premise. And, you know, if you have little ones or, hey, if you don't have little ones, I don't. And I read it twice. Um, you know, like, I don't care. I'll read it again. I think I'll read it after I get off this podcast. Um, you know, it's, it's not that long. Um, I'm trying to look and see how many pages it has. Um, but I mean, it's just a great, you know, little book. It's, it's from Scholastic. Um, and it's, I guess it's 213 pages. So maybe it would be a book that you could like read your little kid, you know, before they go to bed. Um, I would have liked a story like this when I was little, um, you know, and it's just, you know, cute for, it's, it's a cute story, but it, it tackles some pretty, pretty big issues for little kids in a really accessible way. Um, and just in a really interesting premise, because who wouldn't want to be Charlotte, to be honest? It's true. Yes. It's true. Um, and I mean, you can be Charlotte or you can be Wilbur. What do you, who are you going to be? <laughs> Charlotte. Be Wilbur, right. No, who, who wants to be Wilbur? So uh, again, that's George by Alex Gino, G-I-N-O, and everyone should go get it for everyone. So should we talk about high school some more? I think we should. Next up for me is If I Was Your Girl by Meredith Russo. And this is the first novel that Russo wrote. It came out a couple of years ago, either um, 2017, I think it was. It's either 2017 or 2018, but I'm pretty sure it's 17. And it is the story of a trans girl. Her name is Amanda. And she has just moved to a new town. She's going to a new school. And she really wants to fit in. She wants people to like her. She wants to go on dates. She wants to be accepted. But she's really worried that if people know that she used to be a boy named Andrew, they're not going to like that very much. And she's heard a lot about hate crimes. Um, she's just really concerned. And she has good reason to be. You know, people do not have a very um, welcoming approach to trans people. And Amanda knows this. So she kind of is trying to balance this. She wants to be accepted, but she also wants to be safe. Then she meets a really sweet boy, and she starts to wonder, might it be okay to let someone in? How would it be? You know, maybe it's not as bad as she's afraid it would be. But then there's, of course, the whole risk of, like, if she tells him that she used to be a boy, um, will that turn him off? Like, what if he's not interested in her anymore? One of the things that I really enjoyed about this is the characters feel very authentically, like, teen. Um, in a lot of young adult novels, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but in a lot of those novels, teenagers act like really, really grown up, even if they're not. Um, I like that Russo has created characters who feel like they could just 
populate like any high school in America. Um, people act very age appropriate. Their reactions make sense to me as a teenager. I remember, you know, thinking and feeling some similar things when when I was in high school. So I really enjoyed that about this book. Um, there is a lot of transphobia here. And so if that makes you uncomfortable, if that's something that you have a hard time reading about, it's just worth knowing that that's a, a big part of this book. Um, and even when it's not ex um, explicitly laid out, it's, it's just sort of, you know that it's there. It's kind of simmering beneath the surface of the story. Um, Russo is a trans woman herself, and her, her prose illustrates, I think, what the, what that struggle would be. And I cannot say whether it's, it's authentic, like truly, but it, it feels that way to me. Um, as someone who was born female, I can't, I can't speak to that on a personal level, but it's one of those books that has a feeling of being based in, in fact, of a deep and almost inherent understanding of the experiences of the characters. So this, once again, is If I Was Your Girl, and it's by Meredith Russo. Well, it looks like I'll have another book to read. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, I also want to check out her new one, which is called Birthday. Uh -huh. um, and I think also has like an LBGT theme. Nice. Um, so I'll have to pick that up sometime soon. Yeah, that is very exciting. Um, my next book I was actually going to talk about earlier, but hey, it's a perfect time to do it now. Um, it's called Boy Meets Boy by David Levithan, uh, L-E-V-I-T-H-A-N. I always also, wondered how to say that name. Uh, I think that's how it's said. Um, okay. We're going to go with it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> why not? Uh, so he, he um, has written, he also wrote Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, if you've read that one. Um, so Boy Meets Boy is about Paul and Noah, and they live in a very interesting town. Um, I don't actually know that they say what state it's in, but they live in, an, in a town, and Paul has always known he was gay. When he was in kindergarten, his teacher wrote on his report card, Paul is very gay. <laughs> and, I don't think you know, that's what it meant. Uh, well, no, but <laughs> Paul didn't know that. Um, and he looked it up and found out what it meant. And he went, yeah, that's right. Uh, and his best friend's name escapes me. But, oh, Joni. Her name is Joni. And she is straight. Um, and she dates various boys throughout the book. But it, it is, uh, so basically it is a romance between Paul and Noah. Noah has just moved to town. But the high school that they go to is so interesting. Uh, when Paul was in grade school, they started a um, L LGBT alliance in his elementary school. Um, they they had their own Boy Scouts that had, you know, both Boy and Girl Scouts um, because, you know, the real Boy Scouts wouldn't take Paul because he was gay. Um, they have a transgender uh, quarterback of the football star. Uh, I'm sorry, quarterback of the football team. Her name is Infinite Darlene. 
She used to be Daryl, but no one remembers when she was Daryl. And Infinite Darlene is like 6'2", and, you know, built like a football player, but she's got great nails and great hair. Um, and she's just very flamboyant. So it is the romance of Paul and Noah told through this quirky, fun high school. It, it, it's, it, it still has, you know, the, the teenage angst and, you know, um, part of the kind of drama of the book is, you know, before Paul dated Noah, he was dating this guy named Kyle. And then Kyle decided that he didn't, you know, he was straight. He didn't want to date Paul anymore. And that was why they broke up. But now Kyle is conflicted and he wants to get back with Paul. Um, so, I mean, there's all this teenage drama going on. And the, so the kind of backdrop to this is Paul is planning the Dowager dance. Um, and he's going to take Noah. But, you know, this whole thing with Kyle gets in the way. Um, infinite Darlene has to, you know, put her two cents in all the time. And the cheerleaders at the school ride Harleys. Um, so <laughs> it's the quirkiest, funnest high school I wish that I had gone to. Um, there's a scene where they're at a pep rally and like, it, it just shows off like the quirkiness and fun of the school. Uh, Infinite Darlene goes up there. She's also homecoming queen and quarterback of the foot uh, of the football team. And one of her major dramas is how do I be the homecoming queen and the football star at the same time? So during the pep rally, she wears her football uniform with her homecoming queen uh, crown on top. Um, so I mean, it's, it's a fun book. It, it does, you know, tackle some, you know, teenage issues. There's, you know, still that kind of teenage drama going on. Um, but you know, it, Paul's parents are totally on board. There's, you know, no issues with, you know, them accepting him or anything like that. Um, you know, his older brother just kind of rolls his eyes and, you know, this is Paul. Um, and, and, and it's, it's refreshing to read a funny, um, GL, L, LGBT, um, I always want to say it in alphabetical order. And that's, um, I know. It, 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 I'm like, no, um, it's 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 refreshing to read a lighter book um dealing with you know s some hard issues but still you know very funny and very um you know kind of quirky uh and it, it doesn't take itself too seriously um and again that's boy meets boy by david levithan um and he also wrote two boys kissing which is I was a little just more ask if you yeah that. yep and um if that one's a little more i feel like that one's a little more um serious uh, just because it's told from the perspective of gay men who have died from aids um and oh. it's, it's it is but it but it's it's written like a a greek tragedy where you know how they kind of have the chorus in the background that kind of narrates yes. the yes. story and that's the way he writes two boys kissing um which is a little weird to get used to. Um, I found it a little off-putting myself, but uh, that one's a little more quirky. Um, I mean, I thought this one was quirky, but that one's even more interesting. But it's fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I, there are some laugh-out-loud moments. Infinite Darlene is hysterical, but she's not hysterical 
she's hysterical because she's funny. She's not hysterical. They're not making fun of her. Or if they are, they're making fun of her, um, you know, with her full permission. She's a diva. She makes no apologies for it. And, you know, she's a, uh, well, she swears a lot. She says she's a great football player, but she throws a couple swear words in there. So, you know, she's like, I'm a football player, but I still have great nails. So, you know, it's, it's funny and it, it, it's a fun, it's a fun read. Um, you know, what if definitely. you broke a nail playing football? Well, and she kind of talks a little bit about that, you know, she's yeah. like, um, and one of the conflicts in the book was uh, Kyle is the backup no chuck chuck is the backup quarterback on the football team he fell in love with infinite darlene she turned him down oh dear so it caused all this drama um so and then you know during the books chuck starts dating Joni, paul's best friend and infinite darlene is just losing her mind so you know it's it's very funny and you know it doesn't take itself too seriously but it does tackle you know, the regular teenage issues in a really kind of fun and new way. I want to meet someone in real life named Infinite Darlene. Infinite Darlene. I know. Yes. And, like and they're like, by, yeah. And, and they're like, by the way, her name used to be Daryl, but no one remembers when she was Daryl. She's no. Infinite Darlene. And, and, you know, like one of the funnier phrases in the book is like, um, you know, I kind of thought that Noah would be a little off put by a six foot two, a football player in heels and a tiara, but he just kind of <laughs> took, took it all in stride. <laughs> yeah, I'll there have to go. check this out. I don't yeah. always love like funny books, but I don't I'll either. I, I generally, out. I generally don't like funny books. So I, I remember I read this um, on a plane traveling for work. Uh, and I was literally, I think the guy next to me thought I was maybe a little crazy because um, you know how Ooh. plain seats are. And he, he tried to move away from me <laughs> as, I'm, uh, as I'm laughing and I'm like, Nope, sorry. You're stuck with me for the next two hours, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be just fine. <laughs> and he's like, what are you reading? And I'm like, I'm reading about um, a transgender player, infinite Darlene. <laughs> and yeah, I, <laughs> I love doing that to people. I'm a mean person. That's okay. Oh, yeah. meanness is Goes all right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So my next pick is also a little bit lighter, at least like my version of lighter. <laughs> so this is These Witches Don't Burn. And it's the I first saw this book. title and I went, what? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this is the first burn book in a series of the same name. And it's by Isabel Sterling. So picture living in Salem, like, you know, Salem, modern day Massachusetts. But imagine that Salem is kind of a magical place. There is this, this hint of magic that fills Salem and certain people know about it and they nurture it. So witches are real in the Salem that Sterling has created. Um, they belong to covens, they practice magic, but it's all kept very, very securely under wraps. There are people in Salem who are called regs, which if you've read Harry Potter, like muggles are basically regs, they're non-magical people. So most of the population is, you know, they're made up of regs, 
but there are like a dozen magical families in Salem. And our main character is a teenage girl named Hannah. And Hannah is a witch. She can control the elements. Now, she's not allowed to practice magic in the presence of regs. And if she does this and gets caught, it's possible that her powers will be stripped permanently. So Hannah goes about her business. She's a high school student. She works after school in this sort of metaphysical shop that does actually sell like real magical items, but markets these things as kind of like tourist gags. So if you're a witch, you can get the things you need, but you kind of do it under the guise of like, you're, you're experimenting, you, you're, you know, looking into Wicca. But the kind of assertion is that there really aren't witches, even though there are. So Hannah has recently broken up with her girlfriend, whose name is Veronica. They were friends before they dated, but when their relationship ended, their romantic relationship ended, their friendship did as well. And Hannah is very much adrift. Um, she doesn't quite know what the next few months are going to look like without Veronica beside her as her girlfriend. She goes to a bonfire at night with a friend of hers. And while they're there, some very strange things begin to happen. Um, there's like an animal sacrifice that they find in the woods. Um, a house kind of mysteriously catches on fire. And it turns out that someone magical is responsible for these things. Now, Hannah and Veronica had in the past a very mysterious encounter with something called a blood witch. And we don't know a lot about blood witches going into the novel. They're just another kind of witch. And Hannah is very, very afraid of the blood witch. Apparently this person um, would like to kill Hannah, or at least that's what Hannah believes. So she starts to wonder, for reasons that I cannot disclose at this point, whether or not the Blood Witch has come to Salem. Veronica shares this fear with her, and so together they kind of begin to look for the Blood Witch and try to figure out if that's actually what's going on. In the meantime, Hannah is beginning to feel a bit of an attraction to a new girl in town, and so she's wrestling with that alongside her kind of grief over the end of her relationship with Veronica and of course they're still trying to find the blood witch so this is very dangerous and tense this book is just a lot of fun um, the, the world building is remarkable I love the way magic was incorporated into the story um, again I love the sense of authentic teenage behavior um, and I love that the fact that Hannah and Veronica are gay is like no big deal to anyone. It's just, oh, okay, these people are gay. Like, it's a much bigger deal that you practice magic because if you do and anyone catches you, like the, the consequences are pretty harsh. But it's not a big deal to be a lesbian and I, I really enjoyed that. Um, the story does wrap up kind of nicely, but you know that there is more that will happen. There's more to come. I'm hoping I don't have to wait too long for it. I'm really afraid that this is the second book is not going to come out until next year. Um, I hope I'm wrong because this was just so, so much fun. 
So again, it's These Witches Don't Burn. These Witches Don't Burn, book one. And it's by Isabel Sterling. Okay, and the last book that I have to talk about today um, is with the caveat that I actually have not read it. Um, And the book is called Charity and Sylvia. And it is by Rachel Hope Cleaves. And this is a story of, obviously, Charity and Sylvia. They live in the 1800s in New England. And they fall in love. And it was basically about how they lived together. um, And, you know, were able to basically be married um, in the eyes of everyone that they knew. And, um, you know, just basically how they live their lives and how they, you know, um, they were very accepted by the town that they lived in, uh, you know, in New England during the 1800s. And, you know, just how they kind of navigated that set of expectations and, you know, set of morals, I guess you could say, and how they, you know, were kind of able to flout the system a little bit and just, you know, live the life that they wanted to live. Um, you know, it was, it was for that time in that place, pretty remarkable. Anyway, uh, again, that, that book is Charity and Sylvia, and it's by Rachel Hope Cleves. So my last pick is the latest novel by Jennifer Weiner. And I was so, so surprised by the scope and breadth of this novel. Um, I've read a lot of Weiner's books um, that she's written previously, and I've, I've loved them. But this one was just really special. This is Mrs. Everything. And it's the story of two sisters, Joe and Bethy. And they grow up in the 50s, like 50s and 60s. Um, and Joe is kind of a, a tomboy. She's not, she doesn't fit easily into the mold. Um, that, you know, women of her time were supposed to fit into. She can't really imagine getting married and having children. Um, She is in love with her high school best friend, who is a girl. And this is very difficult for Jo. She doesn't know how to handle this. She doesn't know how her family will handle it, how society as a whole will handle it. And so she tries to hide it. Meanwhile, Bethy is so much more um, stereotypically feminine, and she, she likes pretty things. She wants to get married. Um, she enjoys dressing up, and um, she, she's a quieter, kind of softer presence when compared to Joe. But a lot of things torment Bethy. She does not have um, the most positive view of her body. Um, her her self worth is is pretty battered by some things that I can't really tell you about. But what this book does is trace the lives of these sisters um, through like almost seventy years. And we get to see the various roles that society has put upon these two women, but also the kind of roles that they have put upon themselves. And 
I love that this book tells some very deep, sometimes disturbing, universal truths about what it means to be a woman in America, what it meant, you know, in the 50s and 60s, and what it means now um, as, you know, we are in the middle of, of 2019. Um, we see the different roads that Joe and Bethy's lives take. Uh, we see how they, they diverge in places and how they come back together. It's a novel that I, I can't really sit here and say, okay, you know, A happens and then B and then, you know, because of A and B, C occurs. I, I can't say that um, because this is much more a novel about character than it is about plot. Um, it moves kind of slowly. There are not like big momentous things that happen in the way that there are in some books. It's, it's quieter, it's deeper, um, it's just, it's a big, lovely, lovely book. I, I was so enthralled by it. Um, I, I want everyone to read it, I want people to recognize this deeper, sort of more uh, cerebral side of Jennifer Weiner and her writing. Um, there are themes of, of love here, of sisterhood, of family, but also of betrayal and jealousy, um, of self-destruction. I, I wish that I could, I don't know, find a way to convey just how much I love this book, and yet I feel like anything that I say just barely scratches its surface. So please read it, whether or not you've read um, anything that Weiner has written in the past, definitely pick this up. I, I loved it a lot, and it, once again, is called Mrs. Everything. All right, so that does it for us tonight. I want to say thank you to Amber for not only um, sharing some pride books with me today, but also for coming up with this idea. It was wonderful and so much fun. I want to thank Christine for the hard work that she does on each and every Book Bistro episode. And of course, I want to thank all of you who join us each week for the Book Bistro journey. We appreciate you so, so much. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody. Mm -hmm.